Welcome to the Sea of Galilee. Let's praise the Lord together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Vesna, for that song. It was beautiful. Welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles Day 2. We are coming to you from the middle of the Sea of Galilee on the Jesus boat. Barry, tell me why this spot's special to you. 
I love the Sea of Galilee because of the words in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus had been teaching on the shore, but the crowds got too large, and he asked Peter to take him out into a boat. And after he finished teaching, he tells Peter, now, Peter, cast your nets into the deep water. And Peter, like many of us, said, but Lord, I've, we've tried this all night. But on your word, I will throw my nets. And that's my prayer for all of you participating with us in the Feast of Tabernacles, that during these eight days, you hear Jesus speak to you specifically, call you to obey him closer in some way, and that you see a miraculous provision. For Peter, it was a boat-sinking, net-breaking load of fish. And we pray that whatever you need, you experience that abundance as you obey Jesus. And what's next, Lily? Amen, Barry. Um, next, we have a greeting from His Excellency, the Prime Minister of Israel, Naftali Bennett, and then another song by Vesna Bueller. Shalom, my friends. The International Christian Embassy here in Jerusalem has for so many years been a center of pro-Israel activism by our many Christian friends in the Holy Land and around the world. Your love for Israel is legendary. Your passion for Israel is an uncompromising statement of support for the Jewish state, for its people, and for our destiny. In 90 countries around the world, the embassy has encouraged an unwavering dedication to Israel. You have our back, and it means so much to us. Your devotion to Israel is not only a blessing for us, but it's helped us sustain uh, our situation during most trying times, including wars. You rejoice in Israel's many triumphs, and you stand with us side by side when we most need it. This is what friendship really means, a true partnership between Israel and the many, many thousands of Christian supporters of Israel. And the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem plays a major role in maintaining this support. And for this, we're all grateful. As you get ready to celebrate the Feast of Tab Tabernacles, the Sukkot, I wish you a most joyous holiday. This is a special time of the year in which we gather with our families and celebrate in the time-honored traditions of our people. I love sleeping in our sukkah with my children. So as we do so, we salute you and for what you do for Israel year-round. Shalom from Yerushalayim. Chag Sameach and Shana Tova to you and your families.
of this world, the creator of the universe, of the sea, of the mountains, the mighty and powerful, beautiful name of Jesus.
Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the
Yuvi and Moishele are brothers, born in Genosar, both are amateur archaeologists. We had dreams that one day we'd find a treasure in the Sea of Galilee. I told Moishele, one day the Sea of Galilee will give us a gift, you'll see, it'll give us a gift. And that day has come true. While walking on the seashore after a drought year, they found an old nail. An ancient nail, then another. We cleaned it a bit, we discovered wood. We looked again and realized it's a boat. We moved along the wood, it was almost a 10 meter long boat. We felt we found a great discovery on an international level. Among the experts invited were marine archeologist Shelley Waxman and his assistant, Kurt. We knew immediately this is an ancient boat. We didn't know how old it was, but we knew that it was ancient. They touched it with a chisel once. And you saw two dancers up in the air. Yeah, we did a little dance and uh, we're very excited. A crazy race against time and odds started. As soon as we started excavating it, we, we were in a sense destroying it. We were opening it up to the air and the air was its enemy. My first job as a conservator was to make sure the wood didn't dry out. It's waterlogged wood. The minute it dries out, it turns to powder. We had to use sprinklers, and people had to spray water on it all day long. An awning was built for shade. The digging around such an ancient and big object required special care. While we were digging, it became clear that we couldn't use tools near the wood. We had to use our bare hands, as the wood was so soft and spongy, our fingers just went right through it. Then it was time to decide how to move the boat. Experts from the port of Haifa arrived, engineers. We went to the Air Force, the Navy, the, the port authorities, the airplane, the LL. The Air Force offered us a helicopter. At the end, it was Orna who came up with the idea of how to actually uh, move the boat. The solution found was to fill up and wrap the boat with polyurethane of fast-drying plastic foam. That's how we filled it up from the inside, but how do you fill it up from below? It's filled with mud, and if you remove the sand, it will fall over. We solved that by digging channels the width of a person underneath the boat. After digging the channels under the boat, they were filled with foam. You spray the polyurethane, it expands and settles, and another channel can be made right away. At the end, the entire boat was covered with polyurethane, and yet it was still not clear how to move it to dry land. The most logical thing to do was to simply sail it on the Sea of Galilee, and then lift it out with a crane and place it on land. We brought up a steam shovel, we dug a channel from the pit to the water, and we sailed the boat out. For the first time in 2,000 years, it was sailing on the waters of the Sea of Galilee. And then the boat slowly began to come up. Everyone was so excited they had tears in their eyes. To sail on a 2,000-year-old boat is simply incredible. Yeah. 
The following day, when the crane came to pull it out of the water, there was one very dangerous moment. One wrong move, and it could just disintegrate. The crane lifted the boat and placed it on the shore, and then we could breathe again. We understood that we'd done the first step. We'd completed something. We've just watched an amazing video, thanks to the museum at Nofginnasar, where they found the historic boat from the time of Jesus. And I want you to put that on your list of places to visit when God opens the doors and you're able to come and visit Israel. Now, I want to introduce Andre, a believing tour guide. And Andre, we're here where much of Jesus' ministry took place. What, what does this mean to you and what's happening here in the land? Well, when we're here in the Sea of Galilee, everywhere we look, we see Yeshua, Jesus, walking. Whether we look in the region of Tiberias, we see him coming there. Whether we look at Capernaum on the other side, we see him coming, making miracles, doing all of these great things. Whether right next to the Novginosar, the Magdala Center, where he comes and has a dispute with the religious Jews that are there about the spirit of religion. He confronts them and he crosses to the other side, to the land of the Gadarenes, right across the lake where he heals the demon-possessed man there. And then we see those thousands of people following him. We see how this Jewish, Jewish rabbi, they call him rabbi, they invite him everywhere into every single synagogue, hearing, waiting to hear the word, words that will change their lives. So all of these multitudes following him everywhere we go. And you know, the, those disciples, those, those 12 disciples and others, that including women here, that decide to make decision to follow Yeshua, follow their Messiah, that rabbi for the rest of their lives, experiencing these miracles and experiencing the life that comes out of his mouth. And then... 2,000 years later, here in Israel, Jewish people like myself and others who coming to the same faith, becoming those disciples of that same rabbi that is alive today and still walking on the, in this region, really calling out, as he called for those disciples, calling them out, come follow me, come follow me. And so there are these messianic congregations that are forming and growing in the Galilee of those people who make a decision and they say, I want to follow this rabbi now as a Jew, just as the ones that did it 2,000 years ago. This is a fulfillment of the prophecies. We see the fulfillment of the prophecies in front of our eyes. Amen. Amen. That's exciting. Thank you, Andre. And Pastor Salim, you also are from here in the north, although not necessarily close to the Sea of Galilee. You pastor in Nazareth. What does it mean being here at this time? Uh, really, it's a very special time for me, spending on this time with you on this boat, because what you mentioned at the beginning, uh, Barry, about the story of Peter and Jesus using his uh, boat as a pulpit, Jesus asked Peter to do three things that it's above the logic. It's not acceptable for a fisherman, for a great fisherman. He's asking Peter to go fishing in the daytime. In the Lake of Galilee, it's impossible to fish in the daytime because fish can see the nets and keep distance. And he's asking him to go to the depth. 
Going to the depths, we have 10 tropical kinds of fish in the Lake of Galilee, and all of them like warm water. There is no fish on the deep water. Third, using nets for fishing in the deep water is wrong tools. You need a special hook to go deep inside the water. So Jesus is asking Peter to go in wrong timing, wrong location, using wrong tools, and what the result was? Getting a lot of fish. It is a prophetic story about what we are living in these days. You know, many of us, we think that the miracle happened when Peter gets the fish. The fish. For me, no, it was one night before when Jesus gave order to the fish not to get into the nets of Peter. It's not the same day. So what is Jesus telling us? The unexpected place, Israel, Arab and Jews, enemy, fighting together all the time. You know the media, how they publish these stories. But Jesus is prophesying about these days that Arab and Jews together in one new man. And the revival will start from Israel, from this land, in a tsunami of worship and prayers for all the nation. Amen. Amen. That's Praise exciting. It's exciting to live in this time. It's exciting to see what's happening here in Israel with Arab and Jewish followers of Jesus living in relationship. It's exciting to see what's happening in the Mideast mm. as Israel now has relations with different Islamic nations. He's opening so, the doors. Amen. Amen. God. So, Andre, what, what do you expect for the next few years here in Israel? Well, it's hard to, to say what we expect, but we see that the Lord is fulfilling prophecies. There is a huge wave of Aliyah returning other Jews from all the nations back. This is prophetic act that is coming as a, a preparation for the return of the King, Yeshua. We know that the, the more Jewish people, the more of that fulfillment happens, the more doors is going to be open for the gospel, the real gospel of the kingdom of God to be declared in the context to the people of God, to the people of Israel, to come to their Messiah. This is the, the, the beginning. And then we will see what we expect next two years. I would say we expect return of the Lord. Maybe we still have more time. It's hard to say when. But as this, the world is going through what is going now, we really see the time is running. And so this is the time to really wake up. This is the time for the nations to wake up and to ask, God, what are you doing now in my life? What are you doing in Israel? Because Israel is a compass. Israel is a compass of what the Lord is doing in the earth. And so the more we watch what God is doing in Israel prophetically, the more we can be aware and alert. Where do we need to be and what is the place we need to take as the followers of this Messiah from Galilee? Amen. And thank you for sharing your comments about Aliyah and that being important. And as believers from the, around the world, I want to challenge you to read the book of Isaiah. Isaiah in multiple places talks about the Gentiles coming together to help the Jews return to Israel, to their promised land. And in Isaiah chapter 66, the Word of God even says that when the Gentiles help them return, I receive that as a holy offering in my temple. And so I want to challenge you, maybe what God is calling you to do, your obedience of throwing the net on the other side, is to help 
the Jewish people return to their biblical homeland. And that may be what unleashes a move of God in your life, in your congregation. Pastor Salim, share your final thoughts with us. You know, this amazing story with Peter and Jesus really touched my heart many times. And every time I read it, I find new things. Jesus can't deal with Peter if Peter came with a lot of fish. He will go home, but he was exhausted all the night, got nothing. He was disappointed because fishermen live from, you know, fishing and he had no money, no fish. So he had nothing. And I do believe when we give ourselves empty to God, he will fill us with good things. He will not use us when we are proud and we feel that we are first. No, when we are broken, when we give our hearts, when do, we do really bow our knees and shout to the Lord, He will listen. And this is the days of prayer. And I do believe that God will use every one of us if we are giving, if we are giving all our life to Him and we listen to His voice, what He's telling us, not what the media and what people think. Not in new doctrines, just what the Bible teach. Amen. Amen. Well, I think, again, Pastor Salim just touched something very important. You may feel right now like you have exhausted yourself. You've worked to the end of your strength. Your business has failed. Your family may have failed. You may be estranged from family members. But it's at that time of humility and brokenness that you should be ready for Jesus to speak into your life Amen. and call you into a path of obedience so that he can do a miracle and provide what you're lacking. Now I want you to join us as we experience some wonderful worship that's coming to us from Norway.
Well, we just enjoyed the amazing worship from Nor Norway, and now it's my privilege to introduce a new friend of mine. Sitting next to me is Bishop Glenn Plummer, who is Bishop of Israel from the largest Pentecostal denomination in the world, the Church of God in Christ. Now, Bishop Plummer, why, why would this denomination send you to Israel? That's really a multi- uh, layered question. But let me start by saying on September the 6th of this year, three things coincided. That word coincide, sometimes people uh, misunderstand, uh, misinterpret the, the, the word coincide with coincidence because biblically there is no such thing as a coincidence. Amen. But three things coincided on September 6th of this year, 2021. One, it was Rosh Hashanah, okay, the new year. 
number two, it was also the end of the year that we've been here. So we came here on September the 6th, 2020, in the midst of the pandemic. And so it began a second year for my wife and I, and for our church, and for all that we're planning on doing. But third, it also was the beginning of the seventh year, or the Sabbath year, the Shemitah, which actually means release. And so this year is a year of release. What does that mean? Okay. The, the, the world has been placed, I don't want to say bondage, but I will say that as a humanity, we have found ourselves in a place where we were told to go home, stay home, put on masks, distance from each other, uh, get vaccinated. And so this past year has been a year of enormous change and turmoil. I'm looking forward to a year of release because in the scripture there's nowhere where the devil, Satan, our adversary, ever created a plague. He's never had the authority to do that from Genesis, certainly from the books of Moses, through Revelation. The word plague is found. And we find ourselves in a place of plague, corona. I, I don't think anyone would argue that much, but, but some do. But I believe that as a result of the purpose of God, God has always been the one to send plagues. He's, he's, it's only been Him. And so here we are as a society. And now here in Israel, we're celebrating the new year. We're celebrating the year of release. What does that really mean? So let me get, I'll, I'll put a pause there for a second and get to your, your, your question. The Church of God in Christ is 114 years old. We came out of, the founder of our church uh, was born during slavery. And so he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Azusa Street. And as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there in California, in the Los Angeles area, Azusa Street. Um, a few years later, he began what he called the Church of God in Christ. Now, out of that came the Assemblies of God, uh, and there was a separation between the Assemblies and Kojic, as we call it, acronyms, purely because of racial reasons at that time in 1914, seven years into the beginning of our, our church. And so for 112 years, our church has grown in the United States. We have about 6.5 million members. We're in 112, 113 countries around the world. But Israel had never been a country that our church had made as a jurisdiction. Now, we, our church is established as a bishopric, much like the Methodist church or the Catholic church. And so there are jurisdictions and some... The assemblies call them districts or whatever, but uh, uh, a bishop is sent, in my case, to establish a jurisdiction and in others to take over a jurisdiction because of the death of a bishop. And so my wife and I came here to establish Israel as a jurisdiction, the Church of God in Christ. Now, our, 
our church is predominantly African-American. And so uh, for black Americans and for black America, if I can use that phrase, um, Israel has always been something dear to us. We name our churches after, I mean, there's many churches in black America named Galilee. Galilee Baptist Church, Galilee this, or Mount Hermon uh, Church. Or there's there's, there's a, 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 a connection with black Americans. Now, black Americans are different than Nigerians, Ethiopians, black Brazilians. Uh, black Americans came out of slavery. And so as a result of our being in slavery, we read in the Bible that God set some slaves free after they were enslaved for 400 years. And so those slaves who, who were threatened with death if they even read, they were, they, were, they were not allowed to read, but they would read the stories of the scripture. And they would, they, would, they would hear that there was this God who released slaves. And they prayed for their children's children that they would one day be free. Here I am in Israel of all places as not only a free American, but representing many black Americans. And I'm thrilled to be able to announce here, actually, after our year. So we came here a year ago, by the way, uh, thought we were going to be embraced and celebrated and, you know, great, all these black folks are coming to Israel. When the Orthodox Jews became very upset. Many were fearful. They felt we were coming to what they call missionize, proselytize, convert Jews, uh, particularly Ethiopian Jews was, was the accusation against us. And so the government became fearful. Uh, and we went through an enormous series, my wife and I, uh, of problems uh, to the point that our presiding bishop in council with U.S. senators, during the six weeks that uh, Israel's airport was shut down, from January to March, most of us remember that. I was called in February, and they said, we're concerned about the death threats against you and your safety. We're going to airlift you out of Israel. Airlift us. We're not in Syria. Yes. We're not in Afghanistan. We're in Israel. And yet, U.S. senators and our presiding bishop, in consultation with our leadership, said, let's airlift them out of Israel. And after we talked, and I convinced them, that's not the thing to do. We'll be all right. Let us stay here and do what it is that God sent us here to do and what our church has us here to do, which I want to tell you in a second. Right? That's my next question. Yeah, why are you guys here? In fact, that's the question everybody asks. Why are you here? Okay? Israelis in the grocery store. You're American? Why are you here? Yes. And so it's, it's a legitimate question. Um, we have come here to open a door for black America to engage Israel on several levels. First of all, millennials, people between the ages of 20 and 40. It's, no, I don't want to argue about whether that's millennials, but let's just call it the 20 to 40 year old, 20 and 30 year olds, okay? We are going to establish here in Israel, and I'm pleased to announce it here, a world-class, state-of-the-art media institute where we will train black American young people to come here, do study abroad programs, stay here for a few months, learn media while experiencing Israel. And 
operate cameras, operate audio, operate lighting, op editing, uh, understand the full scope of media. And now, because of corona, most people throughout the world are, are at a place where um, everybody's looking at, at their phones, everybody's looking at media. Zoom has become a whole new word that even though they've existed for 10 years, uh, you know, people Zoom now. And so my point is that we've come here to establish a media institute. We will have thousands of young people coming here. We uh, will have top leadership in black America come here. The black church will formally, we have formally embraced Israel. We have formally uh, said we stand with Israel uh, in the face of anti-Semitism, even within our own community. There's a black Hebrew-Israelite movement. And uh, we denounce it. We, we, we embrace Israel. And uh, let me close by saying this. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., do I have a minute or so? Yes. Dr. Martin Luther King, his last speech was at our church. Mm. He was assassinated the next day. The speech was called uh, uh, the mountaintop speech. And in the speech, he said he had been here. He and his wife came to Jerusalem. He rented a car. He drove from Jerusalem to Jericho. And in that context, he closed his comments by saying, I have been to the mountaintop. I have seen the promised land. He said, I may not get there with you, but we as a people will get to the promised land. He was then killed the very next day. Fifty-some years later, actually 50 years later, on the same pulpit that he spoke those words, our denomination formally established and ratified Israel as a jurisdiction, appointed me as, a, as the bishop. It was a, thousands of people present, standing ovation, and I was asked to speak. And from that moment, this is a couple years ago, uh, we declared our allegiance our love for Israel, the people of Israel, the land of Israel, and we come to bless this land and to bless this people. And I'm thrilled to be able to say that, uh, representing millions of, of okay. black Americans. Well, on behalf of millions of Christians around the world, we want to say welcome to Israel. Yes, sir. And for our friends around the world, I want to challenge you to pray for the Church of God in Christ. God is moving them into a new chapter of active support for Israel and the Jewish people. Pray for Bishop Plummer yeah. and his wife. Yeah. And now we have the privilege of listening to his wife, Ruth Plummer, lead us in another worship song. Well, <laughs> let us welcome the First Lady of Israel to lead us in worship. <laughs>
awesomeness of you and how your love will never fail. Mere words cannot express what I feel inside. I can't explain your glory divine. So as a token of my love, this is what I'll do. I'll lift my head. Oh, you're here. 
much, Ruth. That was beautiful. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So powerful. And now I would like to introduce to you Victor Kalishev, who is the director of the Bible Society in Israel, as well as an elder of his Messianic congregation. Shalom. What a privilege, what a blessing it is for us to sit here in the middle of the Sea of Kinneret, Sea of Galilee, watching all these mountains around us. Every place we set our eyes on is a place that Jesus made miracles. He healed the sick. He even raised people from the death. But most of all, he was teaching about the kingdom of God. He was teaching about repentance of sins. He was calling people to return to himself to restore us back to God. What a blessing. When you look at this setup, it's actually a very small place, right? It's a very small place. And in the same way that Jesus brought the fish, he ordered the fish so that Peter could catch them, I think God created this place in such a way so that there will be this sea here and around it these mountains and cities and villages that all his message, the gospel, had a perfect setup to be preached, to be taught. And Jesus was teaching, and his teaching actually was part of his ministry as a priest. You know, part of the ministry of the priest was to teach. And he was the high priest. So he taught the best teaching. The absolute truth was from him. Right? And today I'd like with you not only to observe like from the side about his teaching, but actually go into his teaching as, as if we are part of the people that are listening. And he taught Jewish audience, mostly. They were Jewish audience that he taught. And when he spoke with them, he spoke about things and in a way that they could understand, that related to their context, to their identity, even here. In Galilee, behind me is the mountain of Beatitudes, just on top of Capernaum. Three years, about three years, Jesus was here, and he was teaching and teaching and teaching. And we know that thousands came to faith. Thousands believed. Thousands were saved. Sometimes we forget. We only think that, well, the Jews, they rejected the Messiah. No. Thousands came to faith. Yes, they did reject as a nation. But thousands, let's not forget it, because this is happening again today. Today we live in a times which is none like, like, not like anything before. It is the first time that again in the land of Israel there is a large and growing community of Jewish believers in Christ. This is something new that the Lord is doing. And this is something that we are so happy and praise the Lord for. Right? Amen? Amen. And you know, the mountain behind is the mountain where he taught one of the largest, I would say, maybe widest teaching that he gave, the Sermon on the Mount, right? We all know this sermon that starts with, blessed are those that. And the, the main theme of the teaching was the kingdom of God. How can we enter the kingdom of God? Now, when, when, when Jesus spoke about blessed are those, I'm sure that Many of them were reminded by someone, someone that, that starts with blessed. 
is the man, right? And actually, when we read about the, when we read the book of Psalms, we see that there are so many prophecies about the Messiah in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is quoted more than 100 times in the New Testament. So even in, in Psalm 2, we read that, the, that God has already installed his king upon Zion. It is written as if it is in the past. It is something that has done that we can build on. The, the, the leaders of the world, you know, can go against God and his Messiah it goes together. If you go against God, you go against his Messiah. If you go against the Messiah, you go against God. And they go against God and his Messiah, but that's okay. He already installed his king upon the mountain of Zion. This is a fact for eternity. And I want that we look at um, this psalm, this special psalm, Psalm 1, that we all know. But let's look at it once again as if, you know, it is speaking to us. We came here not only to look from, uh, let's say, from above on the things. We want the word of God to speak to us. It is eternal. It is relevant. It is true to us today. We still are, all of us, in the process of growing, of walking after the Lord. We didn't complete the race yet if we are here, right? Amen. We want to complete the race. So let's look at it and, 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 and try to get some things from that. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, of the evil. Blessed is the man. Not blessed, blessed is the man with M-E-N as in plural, but each and every one of us. He calls each and every one of us to come to him nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And I want to stop here for a moment. And we see that there is some kind of a degradation, if I may say, in the way that this verse is written. The first thing is, did not walk in the counsel of the evil. The first way, you know, our enemy is very cunning, right? And he has all kinds of ways to, to cause us to follow him. You know, we know, I mean, we here live in Israel, we know a lot about false teachings. Because we know the meaning of Israel in the Bible and how important it is. When you hold on to the meaning of Israel in the Bible, it's like an anchor. We're sitting here in a ship. It's an anchor that holds you, that holds you in the Word of God. And when you don't, you start shifting away from the truth of the Word of God. So the first thing is not to walk in the counsel of the evil, not to listen to things that we do know. That's not true. We have the word of God. We can look it up. And we know, no, that's not true. Because when we start going in the counsel of the evil, then the way of the sinners is the next thing. We start walking. We start getting on the wrong way of the evil, of the sinners. And we should not stand there. And then if we walk with the sinners, the thing that happens next is that we sit. We sit together with the scoffers. This means, you know, that now we are already in the midst of that. We celebrate that. We don't even feel, not, we feel comfortable with that. Let's not listen to the counsel of the evil. And there is also some kind of a degradation in the description of the different people. The first thing is not to walk in the counsel of the evil. That's the first thing. You know, I don't want to offend anyone, but evilness is a kind of a position. All of us are evil if we don't have the Lord's justification. Because the sin, 
by default makes us evil. When we have the sin, we are evil in the eyes of God. And we cannot fellowship with Him. That's why this psalm opens the book of Psalms, the book of fellowship with God. It starts with letting us know that only when we are righteous, we can come into fellowship with Him. This is the gate into fellowship with God. And only Christ makes us righteous. That was all His ministry in all the places here for three years. And then He went to Jerusalem to fulfill it, to go on the cross and to fulfill it. And then He shouted, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Why did He shout? Was He just in pain? He wanted everyone to know. He declared that He took the sin of the world upon Himself. That's why he shouted it, that everyone will know that he did, indeed took it. And we can have assurance in our faith in him, in our salvation. That his ministry, all that he taught, is true and everlasting. Amen. That's why he shouted. And when he shouted it, it is also the way by which the Jews understood that he now refers them to this psalm. Because the way by which in traditional Jews... Uh, in traditional Judaism, you call a person, portion you, is by the opening verse. When you say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is telling everyone else, now I refer to these psalm. Now I fulfill this psalm. So we also need to be careful not to follow the advice of the evil and then not to stand in the way of the sinners. From the evilness that we have, we can fall into being sinners, people that follow the sin, and then to sit in the seat of the scoffers, people that are happy with the sins. And we have today, we know that the world, the morals of the world, degradate. And it's getting worse because we live in end times. So we need to be the light. We know the ministry of the Lord. We who live here in Israel, we have this testimony here all over us. Wherever we look, it is there. Whether we are in Galilee or whether we are in Jerusalem, it is all over the place. So we are definitely needs to be the ones that hold this flag of the truth of the word of God, of the truth of the gospel of the Messiah. God bless you and thank you. I would like actually to call Salim and Andre to come maybe and pray with me. Is that okay? Yes, yes. What a privilege to pray together with uh, Jews and Arabs together and know that there's nothing, no force that can uh, take us apart, that we are united in Christ. Amen. Amen. So, Salim, would you lead us in prayer? Yes, and I would like to pray in the Aramaic language. It's both Arabic and Hebrew together. Go ahead. It's the Lord prayer. Amen. Evon bishmaiyah, Teti malshutoch nevesovianoch. Etchanat bishmaya abara shukran chubben. Etchachnat dipachnenu shukran chiyavin. Ulatulin nisiuna la passam membisha. Maddil de la uchay malshuta. Tushpachtil el alamin. Amen. 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 Thank you. Andre, would you like to pray? Yes, Lord, we worship you on this place. We worship you in the place where you ministered. We worship you in the place where your, your feet walked. 
we worship you because we're touching these very wells of the presence of God and we pray from this place would you again stir up revival would you again open up the hearts of the Jews of the Arabs of every other people that are here and those who are coming Israel you put Israel as a as a city on a hill in the world Lord we pray that this calling will be accomplished that the testimony will continue on will not be just something small but let the light of your presence shine from Israel all over the nations this is the Amen. calling we call Israel into her calling come into your calling as a city on a hill to the world in the name of Yeshua the Messiah Amen Amen, Amen. Wow. Victor, thank you for that word. Amazing as we contemplate the word of God here where so much of the life and ministry of Jesus took place. Sometimes here at the Christian Embassy we're asked, what is this new thing, Christian Zionism? And it's now my privilege to introduce a segment that you'll see in our next events every day where we begin to teach the history of Christian Zionism. And Dr. Bueller will speak the first one, beginning with the Puritans. The restoration of the nation of Israel is one of the greatest miracles of our time. For many centuries, Christians foresaw through biblical promises this exciting event. They spoke, wrote, and talked about this future restoration. Today, they're called Christian Zionists. This is their story. It is important for us to understand that Christian Zionism didn't emerge in the last century or started with organizations like the Christian Embassy or similar pro-Israel organization, but Christian support for Israel has its roots that is going far longer back. As a matter of fact, it started with the time of Reformation. The most singular event that, that brought forth the teaching of Christian support for Israel was the translation of the Bible in a modern language. It was first German, later on the King James Version in the United Kingdom. And for people to be able to read the Bible, they very quickly realized that what the church was teaching them, the Catholic Church, uh, they couldn't find those doctrines in the Bibles. And one of those doctrines was the teaching about Israel, that God is finished with the Jewish people, that there is no future for them, that the church replaced Israel. People started to read the Bible and says, wait a second, we can't find that anywhere in the Bible. On the contrary, the Bible is full of promises about a future restoration. So in 1588, a gentleman right after the Bible was translated called Francis Kett, he wrote a book where he for the first time expressed the idea that the Jewish people are really a people here on earth. Israel is still the land of Israel today and one day the Jews would return there. And this was a shockwave in Christian theology because he was immediately declared as a heretic. Two years later, he was burned on the stake, but this unleashed a wave that couldn't be pulled back anymore. A decade later, in 1610, another theologian, Thomas Brightman, wrote a very similar book where he stated exactly the same. The Jewish people are God's people still today, and God is going to restore them. And there were many other books that were published like that. It 
is important to understand that uh, people like Francis Cat, Thomas Brightman and others that which were around, they were not those singular specks in the theological sky, but they were developing what became the mainstream of evangelical uh, theology. One of the greatest revival leaders of the uh, 17th and 18th century was John Wesley, who ushered the Methodist revival in the United Kingdom, a revival that re literally changed the entire uh, island of the UK, and it also spread over to the United States of America. He was an absolute convinced theologian that the Jewish people have a destiny, that God would restore them. As a matter of fact, in his commentaries to Romans 11, he writes that if there is something promised in the Bible, it is that, that God would restore the Jewish people back to their homeland. And then he adds, he says, therefore I wonder how many people still cannot understand that mystery. That means he fully uh, put himself behind that understanding and it didn't stop with him. It was also a century later. They call him the Prince of Preachers, Charles uh, Spurgeon. And he was uh, um, one of the greatest orators in the United Kingdom at that time in the London Metropolitan Tabernacle. And he, whenever he expounded on the Old Testament, which he did very often, by the way, he always referred to those Old Testament prophecies like Ezekiel 37. He says, those dry bones, they are actually written in the context that God one day would restore the Jewish people and today I'm going to give you a spiritual application I will give you a spiritual message and he did this many times there is even an entire message from Charles Spurgeon where he spoke about the future restoration of Israel he said they will have a king they will have the land where they are living they will restore the ancient cities he in a way foresaw everything that we are seeing today happening here in the land of Israel I don't think we can overestimate their role for Christian Zionism even today because they were the first ones who really formulated the notion or the thought that God would restore the Jewish people. They were the first, the first ones in the post-reformation period which says God has a future and a calling for the Jewish people. In a way we have to say we are standing on their shoulders today. We are reaping about their thoughts about people even paying with their lives for this understanding and for this truth, we are today sitting on their shoulders. And I think it's important for us also to understand that this is even understood by many here in Israel. I, I never forgot to forget when uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu was visiting the Christian Embassy a number of years ago, he said, you Christians, you were the very first Zionists. You understood Zionism before we Jews understood it. And it's quite amazing to see that, that there was an understanding in the church of the restoration of Israel long before the Jewish people developed their own Zionist understanding.
close friend and an expert in the security here in northern Israel. This is Marco Moreno, retired lieutenant colonel in the IDF and currently serves as the Israel director for FAI and also the general manager of FAI. So, long title, but it's all true. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a former security officer in the intelligence here in the north, talk to us about what's, what's happening here on the borders, Lebanon, Syria. So let's start with the south border of Israel, which we have the Gaza area. Um, they fired three missiles during the last three days. We'll talk about the prison break Israeli version in a while. I don't know if you guys are interested in that uh, interesting story. But they fired three missiles each day. A missile looks like um, Hamas uh, leadership is taking a strategic decision to go to another round with us. It depends because they're not getting the money from, the, from Qatar and other issues they have. Um, which mean another round means that they will fire missiles on Israeli cities like happened uh, three months ago and the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces will have to retaliate and do the job. The solution in, in Gaza Street, by the way, has, needs to be something international worldwide. It cannot be something between Israel and Hamas, unfortunately. Um, going up to the east, the uh, West Bank, Palestinian issue. There's a new government uh, now uh, in Israel, uh, which combined from left radical all the way to right radical. So I don't see them, I don't see they have a capability to do something regarding the Palestinian issues, meaning a peace process or something like that. They are pretty much captured, you know, each side on the other one. Uh, that means status quo with the West Bank. Which is not, I don't know if it's a good thing because, you know, things are boiling there. It can, it's rise, it's going up, down. Let's see. Going up to the north, we are just behind us, the Golan Heights, uh, the beautiful piece of land in Israel. So we have Syria and Lebanon. Syria, it's in the end of the civil war. Even though you hear from time to time that, uh, for instance, in Dara, where the civil war started, uh, rising again, the rebels, I mean, but I don't see them doing something meaningful. At the same time, Iran and Hezbollah is establishing a line in front of us in the Golan Heights, which is just like, I don't know, 10, 10 miles from here. And going back and ending in Lebanon. Lebanon is the biggest problem to Israel. Okay, if you ask what's the biggest threat in terms of security to Israel, it's Hezbollah from Lebanon. Uh, the, the corona and the economic crisis, Lebanon is very, very, very difficult. I know if you guys watch on TV, you see lines, people getting uh, fuel for the cars. So this environment uh, leads to uh, upcoming, I know, clashing with us. Now, don't be surprised. I'm not telling you any secrets, by the way. But don't be surprised that everybody will wake up in the morning, uh, any morning, and hear that maybe the IDF launched a massive strike in Lebanon because we cannot allow Hezbollah to come to his um, ability 
to take his stupid missiles, we had, which he has tons of, uh, hundreds of thousands of them, and to make them clever missiles. This is the red line, Israel cannot allow it. Now that's the near circle. The far circle, we have two vectors. One is the Iranian, uh, which we see the new administration in the U.S. Uh, trying to cut a new nuclear agreement. Um, in the beginning, it looks like the administration wanted to do something different, but the Iranian, I don't know why, are still stubborn and doesn't want to do so. I think Biden administration is now recalculating his route and, and they're starting to do something different, but looks like they're going to have an agreement in the end. I don't know which kind of agreement it will be. I don't know if it will be good for Israel or not. But time will say um, a clash with Iran is also a possibility. On the other hand, we have the, the new peace agreement, the Avram Corps agreement with the Sunni states, which is a very blessed thing. Uh, first of all, because I think it's the first time in history that Israel is signing a peace agreement with an Arab country without involving land replacement, not talking about Jerusalem or the West Bank or something like that. And another thing, without uh, connecting and bonding the Palestinian issue, which is good. So, uh, good days in Israel, by the way. Uh, I hope folks back home doesn't feel that everything is intense. All is good. Israel, unfortunately, we live on our sword from the day we came here, the Jews. I served 25 years in the army. My father served 30 years before me. My son started his <laughs> serving now. I'm assuming his son will do the same. We would like to live in peace with our neighbors. Some of them wouldn't. I think uh, Pastor uh, Salim before me said it. You know, we did a nice project in Syria. We, it was Christians and Jews helping the Muslims. Yes. And um, I think that was a microcosmos of a very, very nice um, project that can be done. Peace will not come from armies or in terms of security. Mm -hmm. It will come only from people that have faith in their heart and, want, and are willing to do the change and are willing to pay the price for it. I think the evangelical community or the Christian Zionists, which I'm part of them now in, uh, with uh, Frontier Alliance International, are trying to do that. I know the Christian Embassy is trying to do that. We are involved a couple of years doing beautiful things. That's the only way. Patient, commitment, and taking the hard path. The rest will come. Amen. Marco, thank you for that. And as believers around the world, I hope you take to heart his final words, that peace will not come from a military action, but it comes from people of faith with goodwill in their heart to cooperate with one another. Marco, thank you so much for being with us. Always a pleasure, Brian. Amen. Thank you. We've just heard from Marco Moreno the situation of the security, and Jurgen Bueller, our president, and Bishop Plummer are here to pray with us about the security of Israel. Well, thank you so much, Barry, and thank you so much, uh, Marco, again, for this amazing update. 
Everybody who is watching us around the world, I want you to stand up right now and raise up your hands and pray for Israel with us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to lift up the nation of Israel. Yes. Your word says that you are neither sleeping nor slumbering yes. over this nation. And we just ask you that you watch Israel on the northern border, on the eastern border, on the southern border, in Gaza, and the West Bank. Father, we ask you that you will be the shield around those young soldiers yes. that are out there to defend the nation of Israel. And Father, we do also speak your blessing on this new Abrahamic Accords, that they will indeed bring peace. And we do ask you, like Marcus said, for this change of heart here in the region that will bring forth peace. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. And Father, your word declares to us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen. And so, Lord, we lift up your city, Hallelujah. the very city of God. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen. And we pray that the peace that you have laid on Jerusalem would go out throughout the world. Amen. We pray, God, that your peace would reign uh, in majesty and glory throughout this land. Lord, even as Dr. Martin Luther King was a proponent of nonviolence, God, I pray for the Palestinian leadership yes. that they would understand yes. that violence is not the way, yes. but that, Lord, you would touch their hearts to pursue a path of nonviolence as well. Mm. And so, Lord, we pray for peace mm. throughout this region both for Israelis, for Palestinians, for Arabs, for Christians. Yes. Lord, we pray for your peace to reign. And for that, we thank you. In the name of the Prince of Peace, mm. hallelujah. hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. 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 We've heard today, as retired Lieutenant Colonel Marco Moreno talked about the threat of missiles from Gaza in the south or from Lebanon here in the north. And Jürgen and Nicole, I've heard the good news that we've recently just in delivered our 150th bomb shelter. Can you tell us about that? Well, it's actually happening right now as we are sitting here. It's uh, a project going on. And you know, Barry, what really makes this so exciting for me is that in the beginning when we talked about putting bomb shelters in the south, I wasn't so sure if this is really a project that believers around the world will adopt and say, well, let's build bomb shelters in Israel. And what I'm absolutely amazed to see, the incredible response from around the world that is ongoing now for so many years, where they do see the need that uh, Israel has to have those security shelters, and they are coming in and they are helping us, and day by day we receive new donations to do it. It's really a work of the Holy Spirit. And the second thing that really uh, is so important for me is that this project really saves life. And um, I have experienced this a few years ago when I was on a speaking tour in Germany and I was uh, preaching in a Big Ten meeting and uh, I saw an Israeli phone number calling me. And I picked it up and I said, yeah, this is Jürgen Bühler. He says, are you Jürgen Bühler from the Christian Embassy? And I said, yes. And he says, well, you just saved my life. And I said, how could I possibly save your life? I'm right now in Germany preaching. And he says, we just had another missile attack down in Gaza. And uh, he says, right now I was running in a bomb shelter. The missile hit just outside the bomb shelter. And you literally saved my life. And I saw this sign inside the bomb shelter that um, 
Um, uh, this was given by the Christian embassy. And what is, was amazing, he introduced afterwards himself. He says, I'm a member of Knesset Shai Harmesh. And since then, there is a very long friendship with him. And it's really a project uh, for everybody to know around the world that this is something which really touches the heart for, of the Israelis. Amen. Well, and Nicole, you get to interact with all of these communities in the deliveries. What's special for that? Well, Barry, you know, when we put these shelters in, it is to save lives, but it's also to allow ordinary life just to go on. Because mm. many times in these communities, you aren't allowed to have events unless there is a shelter available. And just uh, this summer, I was speaking with one of the security chiefs in the South, and he said something that really touched my heart. He said, you know, so often when we have a conflict like what we had in May, and you see people demonstrating around the world against Israel, you can start to get the feeling in Israel like the whole world's against you. Mm. And he said, I felt really discouraged by that, and I don't think I'm the only Israeli that feels that way. But then I come across somebody like you, and I see the shelters, and I see the firefighting equipment that you're helping us with to put out fires that are coming with the balloons out of Gaza. And, you know, it encourages us so much. And so I just wanted to say a huge thank you. And I was just realizing again, you know, we hear a lot about the southern border, but Marco explained to us the northern border is also a, even a more dangerous border, even though it's been quieter in recent years. And so we have put majority of the shelters in the south, but we're already starting in the north as well because there's thousands of Israelis who are not protected adequately in the north. Mm. And that's a new uh, uh, area that we've been working on in the recently. Well, and Nicole, um, you talk about Israelis in the north, but having been there and visited, these are diverse communities. Tell us some of the communities that we put this in. These are not just Jewish communities. That's right. You know, Barry, um, Israel is such a mosaic. We have the Muslim communities, the Christian communities, the Druze, the Bedouin, the Jewish communities. And so just recently in the Zvulun area, which is near Haifa, where there's a lot of strategic uh, targets that could be aimed at from the Lebanese border, we've been putting in Bedouin communities. We've also placed in Druze communities right near the border. And those also uh, helped Christian uh, people who live with these Druze families up there. So it's been really, really special to reach out to all of Israeli society. Amen. That's exciting. And I want to say to all of you, thank you for helping us be this witness of the love of Jesus for Israel. And I want to challenge you, as you watch this next video asking you to consider supporting, ask what the Lord would have you do to put another shelter in another community here in Israel. the ICJ is able to show support for the people of Israel is by providing bomb shelters for communities at risk of attack. Although we often hear about the southern region and the ongoing attacks that come out of Gaza, the people in the north are also under threat from Hezbollah and others. Today we're in the northern region of Zvulun and we're here to provide shelters for the communities here. We're going to have the opportunity to talk to the residents and hear from them how important this is for them. Come, follow me. My name is Itai Carmon. I am the security officer or charge of the safety and the emergency of the Zvulun 
Resilient concept. We live in a very high risk area near the port of Haifa. We have a lot of chemical factories and the gasoline factories. And because of this, our neighbors from the north, from Lebanon, want to, uh, to attack this area. And we need to put the shelters for the, all the kindergartens and all the villages. We have three kindergartens. They, they don't have shelters and uh, we want to protect them. If we have a tech here, they can run to the shelter very, very uh, fast. I'm Shmuel Bowman, Executive Director of Operation Life Shield. Well, first of all, we've placed these shelters beside the most important place, and that's beside the kindergartens. What could be more important than taking care and protecting the lives of the children and the amazing staff that take care of them? And so first of all, this brings security and peace of mind on a day-to-day -day basis. These shelters are so important for us, especially in our mixed community where Jews and Muslims Arabs and Bedouins are living together. We are really grateful to you for this. We are really grateful to you. We are really grateful to you. We are really grateful to you. You are just coming and coming to save our lives, to save our children. We are really grateful to you. This is a wonderful example of how people from all diversities are able to come together and live together, and everybody deserves to live. Everybody deserves that peace and security. There's much more we need to be doing here. The partnership with the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem and Operation Life Shield goes back a decade and a half, and that relationship is rock solid. We're so grateful for that incredible friendship that we have had, that we continue to have, and that we will have into the future. This is a bond and a relationship without absolutely any uh, conditions whatsoever on anything, and we absolutely appreciate that. This is true friendship. We very appreciate it. All the Christians in the world that can give us the shelters for the kids and for all the people here in the Holy Land, in North Holy Land, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you, ICEJ. Thank you, Christians all over the world for helping us. You can see how important these shelters are for at-risk communities. And it's because of your support that we're able to give peace of mind and save lives in Jewish, Bedouin, and other communities who are under risk of attack. And if you haven't yet had the opportunity to partner with us, I'd like to invite you to go to icej.org slash crisis. And thank you so much for your generous giving. We get the privilege of listening to Pastor Philip Mantofa of Indonesia bring an amazing word from the prophet Zechariah. And don't forget, he starts with worship. Oh, amazing worship. 
Our eyes on you.
Blessing and honor, glory and power. Blessing and honor to you. Blessing and honor, glory and power. Blessing and honor to you.
My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever you are, I've got a message from my heart to yours. But before that, let's say a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, please bless the word. And may this word serve as a warning and as a blessing to all who desire to serve you and to be used mightily by you. Please hide me behind the cross as I explain the scriptures to everybody. I pray that everyone will look at Jesus and grow in your grace and in your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. The days of Elijah, they're coming back again today as the Lord has already prophesied in the Bible. But comes with it also a warning a prophetic warning to all who desire to be used by god mightily so i shall entitle this very short message of mine the danger of discouragement yes the danger of discouragement first kings chapter 19 verse 1 to 4 says now ahab told jezebel everything elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword so Jezebel sent a message, a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Be Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree sat down under it and prayed that he might die i have had enough lord he said take my life i'm no better than my ancestors the danger of discouragement for a discouraged heart can change a person from the inside out someone of that caliber elijah i expect i expect that something like this the least from someone like elijah but how the mighty had almost fallen if the seed of discouragement in his heart could affect him so much well i believe it can affect us today so it's not about the revival fire being not so great it was great all right just days ago just probably the day before elijah called down fire like that it was a showdown against the the false prophets and how they were defeated and yet here we see a different Elijah. All of a sudden, what's the sudden change here? It is the seat of discouragement. The devil knows how to hurt the spirit in the right moment. So be very careful. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. I think this possibly could be the cause of Elijah's discouraged heart. Because very, very likely, Elijah expected that Ahab would repent of his sin. But instead, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, not to glorify the Lord, but to find, to find some kind of revenge against him. So Ahab was actually half-hearted. He wasn't as evil as his wife was. Yet hereby, Ahab told Jezebel everything with an unclear purpose. But I believe Ahab, the king, consulted the queen and sought an advice from her what to do with this prophet that has changed the course of a nation. What Elijah had forgotten was that the whole people of Israel had turned back to God. Instead, the seat of discouragement is very tricky because it causes us to see the hole instead of the donut. 
So Elijah was counting on his lack on what had not happened instead of what had happened. God had given and surrendered him to him the hearts of the Israelites, but not the kings and absolutely not the queens. And instead of giving thanks to God for what the Lord has done so mightily through his ministry, he got discouraged at what did not happen. He expected the king would, be, would fall on his knees and acknowledge what the Lord had done. But the opposite of that, he told his wife, let's do something about this guy. So this is the seat of discouragement, the wrong focus in life. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us focus in the days to come. It's not that the anointing is lacking. It's not that the fire isn't great enough. Sometimes our hearts are so weak. We have the tendency to miss what God wants us to see. Instead of counting our blessing one by one, we count those things that the Lord hasn't done. Just because the Lord hasn't done so doesn't mean that he will not do so. But instead, what Elijah magnified was, was the whole, not the donut that the Lord has given. And Jezebel, verse 2, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, 24 hours from now approximately, I do not make you a dead meat. You see, when we are discouraged in our hearts and we entertain that feeling for so long, be very careful lest we will fall prey, an easy prey to Satan's schemes of intimidation. Finally, Satan had Elijah almost bowed down low under his intimidation. You see, if, if the queen if Jezebel really, really could kill Elijah, he, she would have killed him a long time ago. Because the Lord had protected his servant, she could not lay a finger on him. And here, she had sent a messenger, not an assassin. Why did Elijah got so scared? Why was he so afraid? If she wanted to kill him, she would have killed him by now. She had not sent to him an, a, a, a murderer, an assassin, a hitman, instead a postman. How deceived Elijah could be when his heart got discouraged and when he entertained such feelings. And he suddenly falls free, he became so weakened, it was the kryptonite. As in Superman's case, so here is a prophet's kryptonite that weakened him all right. He couldn't do anything. He lost all his spiritual muscles all of a sudden. While just a day ago, he was so mighty. It was ironic. Elijah was so afraid, verse 3, and he ran for his life. Again, this is what I expected least from someone like Elijah. Because Elijah was well known for his courage. He was the boldest among prophets. You see, when a man is discouraged and when he entertains such a feeling and he, he does not submit such, such a, a, a down, downcast emotion to the Lord, you know, sometimes we, we are not to repent only of our sins. We must repent of our certain feelings. If these feelings don't go along in line with the Holy Spirit, 
And it did not for sure in Elijah's case. It did him, him harm. It almost harmed him totally. Elijah was afraid. That's ironic. That's ironic. Because when someone is discouraged in his heart, in, he doesn't repent of it for whatever reasons he was discouraged. If he's not repentant of it, listen, it will change his personality. It will change him from the inside out. And someone so bold became someone so cowardly. Before a woman, he ran away for his life. I could only imagine, he was, it was like a dog. I'm sorry to say, it was like a dog with its tail in between its legs. He ran away. That's so not Elijah. That's true. It's not him. And when you're discouraged, you will not be you. You'll not be your Christ like you. You'll not be you at all. So repent of such feelings. The battle is on. It's a long-term spiritual warfare. So do not entertain any feelings whatsoever because it is also considered sin in the presence of God. While the Lord has already provided 365 times in the Bible, the saying, do not fear or do not be afraid. It's almost like the Lord is trying to say to us that for every kind of fear, there is an antidote. There is a word for it. And for every day, that could be very fearsome to you and me. God has one do not fear to heal it. So being afraid is not a standard in the kingdom of God. We can be mightily anointed like Elijah and we could be defeated if fear gets the upper hand. So the Lord has 365 times saying, do not fear to us. Apply it every day in your life. Apply it to every area. Lastly, verse 4, while he himself went a day's journey into the de desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Huh? Really? No kidding. This is Elijah. He wanted to die. He became suicidal all of a sudden. He went a day's journey into the desert. When one's heart is totally discouraged, not only totally discouraged, when you allow little discouragement, it will grow in your spirit. When it grows, it might plunge you into the black hole of Satan where there, were, there are demons all around. You see, nowadays, if you consider all the names for, for the sicknesses having to do with stress, like bipolar, schizophrenia, multiple personalities, the desire to end one, one's life, all these things, these have names, you know. And to me, they sound like demonic names, the satanic, satanic black hole. Even Elijah wasn't, wasn't exempt. If he wouldn't care, if he's not careful enough, he'll be plunged into that hole, and so could be you and me. A day's journey into the desert. That day's journey into the desert is the black hole of stress and depression. This is a this is a shocking self-discovery that even someone like Elijah could be suicidal because he said later on, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors and surely you and I are no better than Elijah. So don't be discouraged, my friends. My last words would be this. Be encouraged instead, be of good courage because the Lord is with you and he has anointed you. And that anointing, that anointing, 
you must preserve and guard with all your heart. Because when fear enters, that anointing will be rendered helpless. But thankfully, when Elijah almost lost his anointing, he did not lose the Lord's faithfulness. The Lord led him back, not only to life, led him back to hope, but the Lord led him back to power. Hallelujah. Because when we are weak, he is strong. And now, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. And now, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us, give thanks, give thanks, be strong. Thank you everyone for joining us today. This concludes our show. We hope to see you back with us tomorrow in Qumran. If you're watching on TV and you want to watch the full show, register for the feast at on.icj.org slash FOT2021, the link below. And you can register and receive everything that we have at the feast this year. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for watching.